living God, you are with us in our joys and our sorrows, on our mountaintops and in our valleys. You are with us on the plains of normal, everyday life. No matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, we can trust and know that you are always there with us. Help us to seek your truth and guide us this morning by your Holy Spirit. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to pick up in Psalm 23, and you might already know Psalm 23. It might already be familiar to you. It's, it's maybe the, the most famous or, or recognizable psalm in the, in the Psalter. It, uh, it's one that comes to mind in really all seasons of life, you know, when times are, are good, and also, and maybe especially or particularly, uh, it's meaningful during times of difficulty. It tells us that it's a psalm of David, and... David, as I mentioned last week, in in this, he's not so much offering a a prayer like we see in a lot of Psalms. It's more of an affirmation of faith. He is declaring his faith. He's stating things about God and his life under God's leadership. So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. For even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And such a wonderful psalm. And last week we talked about how, you know, King David, before he was King David, his personal background was as a humble shepherd out in the fields tending sheep. He knew what it was to be a shepherd. He understood that role. So I think it's especially significant that David begins saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Shepherds care for sheep. A sheep's an animal in need of total care and protection and David saw himself as that sheep in need of care and in need of God's protection and in the Lord's care David tells us he has no other want he finds contentment for his soul it says God restores his soul well we too find contentment in our dependence on God our greatest purpose in life is met when we are surrendered to living for the glory of God. And again, I mentioned this last week too. I'm just kind of recapping a few things before we move on into new, new material. But it doesn't just say, well, the Lord is like a shepherd. David's affirmation here is very personal. The Lord is my shepherd. It speaks to the close relationship that David uh, has with God. Of David's willful dependence on God. And when we left off last week, we were talking about how being under the care of the shepherd meant that the sheep follow the shepherd. Not only down paths of righteousness, but sometimes our lives head down more dark and ominous path. These times in our lives are what can feel like, as David describes, valley of the shadow of death. 
But David knew that what was bigger than the valley of the shadow of death was knowing that the shepherd was still with him. The shepherd, you know, he doesn't go with the sheep to the, to the beginning of wherever that valley is and say, all right, I'm not going, good luck. You know, y'all are on your own. I'm sure you'll be fine. I'm going to take the safe road around. I'll meet you on the other side. That's, that's not what is conveyed here. No, the shepherd enters the valley with the sheep. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Last week, I also gave some statistics on the prevalence of depression, and I won't reiterate those, but we know, we don't even have to look at the data, we know it's a serious problem. We know mental health, mental illness is a serious issue. Um, It's connected with, with so many problems, so many occurrences of either violence or self-harm that we see today. And um, so as I mentioned, we're going to talk more about this big topic of depression. So let's talk more specifically about depression. What is depression? Well, many people would describe depression as a state of maybe really intense or prolonged sadness. Or put another way, you know, this, this state of this absence of happiness. Our Western culture, if you think about the world we live in, I mean, it is just a relentless pursuit of individual happiness. That that's, seems like that's the focus of our culture. A relentless pursuit of individual happiness. One's happiness has become the, the end goal, the thing that, that matters. And of course, happiness is not a bad thing. I don't want to confuse that. It's a positive emotion. You know, we're happy when things go our way. We're happy when life is how we want it. We're happy when we're enjoying the activities that we like. But we have to wonder, this is where we're going to kind of shift maybe our understanding. If happiness is so great, and what we're living for, and if it's so important, then why, for example, does doesn't Paul make it one of the great ends of the Christian life? Why doesn't Paul include it in the fruit of the Spirit? What does Paul describe as the fruit of the Spirit? In Galatians 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And you you may consider that list, and we say, well, joy's on there. That's, That's like happiness. Well, yes, happiness can and often accompanies joy but happiness and joy are not really the same thing feelings of happiness can exist with joy but biblical joy and human happiness are not synonymous they're not synonyms because happiness is an emotional expression it's an emotional state so while happiness it can be associated with godly joy it can also just as much be associated with sinful desires of the flesh. Why do people do sinful things that they do sometimes, that we do sometimes? Well, because it feeds our, our personal selfish happiness. And yes, sinful behaviors can bring us feelings of happiness, but that is a happiness that is fleeting. It's a happiness that is ultimately destructive if we continue down that path. And Paul warns us against such selfish pursuits for happiness 
in that passage right before the fruit of the Spirit. We know from experience, from our own lives, from, from lives that we've witnessed, that happiness, it can come and go. It's fleeting. And sometimes it can come and go quickly. I mean, who hasn't ever had, been having a really good day, great day, and then all of a sudden, in a moment, that feeling of happiness is gone? Maybe it's a call we got, a text we got, maybe something happened. That feeling of elation all of a sudden is a feeling of, I mean, it's just gone. It's just sadness. We have to know that there's something more than just happiness. There's something more to life than just our happiness. Happiness, again, it's, it's on a sliding scale. It can rise and fall like the waves of an ocean. It can vary in intensity, but joy, biblical joy, it's not an emotion. It's not really how the Bible describes it. Rather, it comes as a reality. It's a presence with us. Joy is a gift of God's grace in which we are assured of God's spirit with us. It's a fruit of the spirit. We're assured of God's presence with us. It's the presence of Christ. That's what biblical joy is. Last week I mentioned a, a book that I would recommend to anyone you know, wanting to think more about topics of mental health from a Christian perspective. And I didn't bring it up here with me this morning, but it's called Finding Jesus in the Storm, The Spiritual Lives of Christians with Mental Health Challenges. And I'm going to use it, utilize it fairly heavily for, for a bit. In it, the author, John Swinton, he writes this about joy. It says, in the incarnation, Jesus enters creation and initiates our redemption. That is our joy. When we think of joy, we should not think of, sim we should not think, let me start that. We should think not simply of happiness, but of the presence of Jesus, which may include happiness. But in the light of the cross, also includes sadness and suffering. Did y'all catch that last line, what he said there, what he tied that to? Joy can also include sadness and suffering. Two things which seem completely contrary to feelings of happiness. I mean, what's the opposite of happy? Sad, right? Like any kid knows that. In fact, because of the cross... Sadness and, and suffering are, in a way, a very real part of the joy that we have. If we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, this is, a, this is a, an encouragement for us. It says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured that suffering despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If you read through the, the letters of Paul, if you read through James of, and Peter, they also affirm the sense of joy is something we receive from God. It is something that is an abiding presence with us. It's not just a feeling. It's a presence. Swinton continues, he adds, joy is a gift. Joy has durability the presence of Jesus does not pass. 
even if it may sometimes feel that way. We are not called to be happy. We are called to be joyful. Joy is not something that can or should be understood apart from suffering. To be with Jesus, our great joy, is not to be without suffering. Joy is not the absence of sadness or suffering. It is our awareness of the enduring presence of God in all things and in all times. Joy is the settled assurance that God is with us and for us in all circumstances and at all times. That's what David's talking about in Psalm 23. Joy is what matters most. I mean, chasing happiness is, you know, like cats like to chase a, a laser across the floor. I don't, I don't have a cat, but if anyone has a cat, y'all torment your cats with the lasers? That's just mean. Um, you know, does the cat ever catch the laser? <laughs> no. What happens when you're done playing with the laser? You turn it off and then it's gone. That's kind of what chasing happiness is. Sometimes the chase is kind of fun, but then when the laser goes off, it's like, oh, well, I don't have, any, I don't have anything. It's fleeting. It leaves you with uh, nothing. Okay, so now about this topic of depression. How does that factor into this idea of you know, happiness, joy, suffering? First, for all who really suffer with depression, um, they're not simply struggling with a bout of sadness. Again, that's not really what depression is. Depression can and does evoke feelings of sadness, but it's more than that. Depression is more associated with despair. If you look at the, the dictionary definition of that word, it's, it's this struggle with a loss of hope, a loss of joy. Swinton describes depression as an anti-feeling. Never heard that term until I, I read this book. An anti-feeling that results in an ongoing struggle to find or hold on to joy. It's a deep loss of joy. Depression's not just about sadness. Sadness is going to happen maybe even throughout our days, every, every day. Depression is, is more than that. And as odd as it might sound, depression can sometimes better be represented not necessarily by the feeling of sadness, sadness but the absence of feeling altogether. More of a, a numbness to life, more of a nothingness. One can feel this nothingness toward life, their own lives, can feel this nothingness to the world around them. But even though it kinda, it's, it's kind of ironic, even though there's maybe this disengaged feeling from the world, within them, they experience an immense and deep emotional pain on the inside. So depression is both numbing and deeply painful at the same time, and one can feel like they're trapped in their own prison. And another aspect of depression or those struggling with it is it can be challenging just to articulate how they're feeling, why they're feeling like they're feeling. You can't, it's hard to put the words together, to have the vocabulary to really convey that struggle, much less just kind of conveying anything, finding finding meaning in life. Depression causes people to have serious doubts. It disorients their reality of the things that they should know that are true. They can start doubting their own worth, their own place in the world. They can even doubt God's presence with them. 
things that they should, should know. They begin to doubt. Depression is also a, a daily affliction. You know, like I said, sadness, you know, emotions come and go, but depression lingers. It's not simply about a sadness. It's, it's, it's not an emotion. It's a state of being. It's enduring and sometimes lasting even several years. Sometimes, in some cases, most of someone's life. Swinton writes that depression is a bewildering affliction that tears away all your certainties about God, self, and others and replaces them with dot, 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 nothing. Affliction is a condition of the soul insofar as it seems to consume every aspect of one's life, leaving one with a deep sense of nothingness, a deprivation rather than a present thing. Affliction forms an ever-deepening abyss that can never be filled. Affliction is ultimately defined by its totalizing dynamic. It affects every aspect of a person, relationships, social behavior, psychological activity, spirituality, everything. I don't know about you, but when I hear those words, it comes to mind the valley of the shadow of death. Where there seems maybe little hope, little light. So what hope is there? Well, again, if we look to Psalm 23, David gives us wonderful words to store in our minds and our hearts. And I encouraged you last week, if, if you weren't here last week and you'd like to take one of those home, it's just, it's Psalm 23. I encourage you to internalize it, memorize it. Put it on your heart, put it in your minds, especially when, when things are good. So that maybe when, you know, things do turn bad, you have those, those words at heart. But these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Remember that God is with us always and everywhere, through all circumstances. Even when we don't feel like God's presence is there, the cross is a great reminder for us of God's great love for us. And it's also a reminder that joy can exist even in the midst of suffering. And when we think about the the valley of the shadow of death, I mean, it, it sounds like a very dark place. It's hard to see things in the dark, right? David mentions, your rod and your staff comfort me. How does, a, how does a rod and a staff bring comfort? What's he talking about there? Well, the rod is something that a shepherd would have to fight off dangers, to fight off predators or things that might harm or, or, or steal away the sheep. But the staff was also used as a, as a guide almost to just kind of nudge the sheep in the right direction. So even though the sheep maybe couldn't if you're thinking about the valley of the shadow of death, maybe couldn't see, there's that nudge that they might feel from the shepherd's staff. In the darkness of our lives at times, we may not be able to see God's presence. We may not be able to feel God's presence or see God's light on our lives. But placing our trust in him, we can still be attuned to those even little nudges. Maybe it's words from a friend Maybe it's words from a book we're reading. Maybe it's a kind gesture. Maybe it's just remembering words of scripture. 
in the valleys. We may want to just, you know, get in the valley and say, nope, turn around, going back. Or we may be paralyzed with fear, not wanting to, to move from the spot we're on or even wanting to get out of bed in the morning in our own lives. We might experience a loss of joy and hope and instead slip into despair thinking that just all is lost. Why even go through this valley of the shadow of death? I'm, I'm just lost anyways. I'm just going to give up. But the shepherd is with us. The shepherd is walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death, traversing forward with us. And David continues in Psalm 23 saying, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how he ends Psalm 23. And I want to just kind of go line by line uh, briefly through these words so that they might instruct us in certain seasons of our lives. Some find verse 5 a little odd. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think what that's reminding us is that we need to remember that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Even when we are facing enemies, whatever those enemies might be, maybe not other people or you know, people trying to harm us, you know, whatever those afflictions are that we are facing, whatever those enemies are for us, God is still with us. God prepares a table for us. And at the table, we are fed by and we commune with the living God. And I don't think David had specifically intended this when he wrote it, but for us as followers of Jesus, the table that Christ invites us to is the one that nourishes our souls with his sacrifice for us, his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, It reminds us that we are partakers of a new covenant that God has established. It reminds us of of Romans 8 that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no enemy too powerful. There is no foe too great. There is no valley too deep. There is no shadow too dark. There is no depression or affliction too despairing. God's love is more powerful than all these things. Even in the presence of our enemies, God prepares a table for us. You anoint my head with oil. Friends, we shouldn't forget that we are children of God. That baptismal font over there is not just, you know, something pretty to look at and put some water in. It's a reminder for us that we are named and claimed by God and Jesus Christ. We are part of God's family and God has anointed us with his spirit and sealed us in his promises my cup overflows David says God's grace fills us and overflows from us like I tried to demonstrate with the water earlier that didn't work out quite like I visualized it in my head Um, when struggling with depression sometimes this can be really difficult in some ways, in that state of depression, to look at their lives and to acknowledge the blessings of one's life and to have a heart of thanksgiving, that, that can be a difficult thing. Richard Baxter 
was a reformed pastor. It sounds like a modern name, but he actually lived back in the 1600s. And he ministered uh, to people. He had kind of a special heart for people who were experiencing depression, even in his time, in the 1600s. And in that context, he once wrote, Resolve to spend most of your time in thanksgiving and praising God. And if you cannot do it with the joy you should, yet do it as you can. Sometimes we don't always feel like praising God. You know, maybe we don't feel God's presence. We don't feel like, you know, that place where we're like, my cup overflows. Sometimes we're feeling like my cup's pretty empty. What Baxter says here is, even if you can't do it with that sense of joy that you think you should do it, do it as you can. Because even in that, God sustains you. There may be seasons of life when it might be hard to genuinely praise God with thanksgiving, but a practice of turning our minds to it, even when it seems like our attempts are feeble, it will nurture growth. In the last verse, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. One major factor that prevents or reduces depression, studies show this, one of the major factors that reduces or prevents depression is meaningful work. To find meaning and value in one's engagements, one's activities and pursuits. It, it's almost like a natural antidepressant. God created us to be meaningfully serving others. And when we're not feeling, fulfilling that call, sure, we may feel a void. The meaningful work, it doesn't have to be your job, you know, what you get paid to do. It can be any meaningful endeavor in which you work toward the greater good. Consider what Isaiah says in chapter 58. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. When struggling with depression, it can be uplifting to find a ministry, an organization, a nonprofit to volunteer with. Organizations like we've highlighted recently, like Presbyterian Children's Homes and Services. There's Fort Bend Casa, being a child advocate, um, Katie Christian Ministries, Compassion International. There's, there's so many opportunities out there. There's so many opportunities even just within the church. But when we see our lives as connected to something bigger, that God is using us in meaningful ways, it does something to our hearts. It uplifts us. God calls us into his greater mission and God made us to give and to share his love with others just as he gives and shares and loves. And Psalm 23 ends, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us not forget the eternal perspective. Sometimes we get so blinded, so focused on experiencing you know, the right now and the, and the present that we can't see the bigger picture. We all, it all it happens to us all. And sometimes that shadow and that darkness 
and everything that we're facing right now, it eclipses the light of the bigger picture. But that doesn't mean the light is not there. We ought to remember Paul's words from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And this is it's a little longer, but I'm going to end with this. Paul writes, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I think I read that line. Things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We should not forget to live with eternity in mind with the eternal perspective. For though the sorrow may last for the night, his joy comes in the morning. And I know this isn't the end-all be-all of, of depression. It's, it's a big topic. There's many different factors. There's genetics. There's brain, uh, brain chemistry. There's life experiences. So many factors. 